And welcome back to The Restless Show. You've joined myself, Father Joseph, along with Diane, Javier, and Lauren, as together we young adults try to navigate this crazy world in which we live, restlessly seeking the Lord. So today's episode, it was Lauren that suggested this topic, which is, I think, an interesting topic. Definitely something that, uh, that we should all kind of talk about and explore, and it's the topic of pilgrimage. Some of us have been on some incredible pilgrimages, and some of us want to go on some incredible pilgrimages and just need the money to do it. <laughs> Or the time off your work, I'm not sure. But, uh, so Lauren, tell us about your pilgrimage experience, because it was, it was rather remarkable. It wasn't just going down the street. Well, yeah, thank you. Um, I was very fortunate to go with a group of young adults from the Diocese of Bridgeport and our bishop, Caggiano, to the Holy Land uh, in January of 2018. That was really special, and uh, that trip moved me in a lot of ways. It taught me so much about my faith and about Jesus' life. Um, it was just really remarkable to walk through the Holy Land. I mean, first, just to be in the environment where Jesus lived, because it is a unique place in the world where it's very rocky, and then it's also complete desert, and then it's very serene and beautiful, uh, and there are, you know, there are vegetative areas around the Sea of Galilee, but it's got all these different aspects to the climate. Um, so to be there, to walk through the, you know, all these different places, to um, witness, you know, specific locations where all these different points of Jesus's life occurred and just, you know, to have that visual, you know, this was the environment is totally, it's just completely life-changing. Like it changes all the readings that you'll ever, you know, come across again mm. to be in the environment where Jesus was and lived and walked and talked. So that was remarkable for me. And uh, I just felt like people need to go on pilgrimage. It's as simple as that. The Holy Land is such an important place. Um, I was fortunate to go at like 28 years old. And I just think people should make that a priority to go sooner rather than later, right? I mean, the sooner you go, the sooner you experience that, the more of an impact it will have for the rest of your life. Because I think, um, you know, being there, seeing the other people that are there and just hearing a lot of people will do that later on in life, maybe when they're retired, but why not go when you're younger and you can have those benefits for so many more years. That's very true. I've actually right. never been to the Holy Land. Have you guys ever ever been there? I have not been, but that is where I would I would love to go. Really? I would love to go. There's just I think about the feeling of the presence of Christ um, there, and I just I just get this sensation in my body that I just I, I, I wish I could close my eyes and just be there. Do you guys think that there are certain places on this earth where God's presence is more strong than other places? Maybe things that you've sensed more, more strongly? I mean, I, I definitely think the Holy Land is one of those places <laughs> just because, you know, he lived there. I mean, it's just amazing to be, to like be walking the same steps that he would have walked so many years ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I definitely think so. I definitely think like churches and chapels and uh, like for instance we we have a chapel here at st john fisher seminary and when i'm there i just i feel different i definitely feel different i feel like i am definitely in the presence of the lord i mean granted i'm in front of a monstrance and the first <laughs> is exposed but i definitely like as you close your eyes you just feel like you're embraced by the father mm. um and the son is watching you as you pray uh, I don't know how to explain that, but it's just kind of the feeling I get. Yeah. 
you know, I've had I've met people that have gone to Auschwitz, and they always say, mm. you know, you can sense a presence of evil there, and just kind of it soaks into your bones. And and conversely, in some places like the Holy Land, you probably sense the presence of goodness and God. And, yeah, the other thing I would say about that is that we know that for 2,000 years, people have reverenced all these sites, right? So Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and the Church of the Nativity, um, you know, indicates an exact spot. And I, I think, it, from what I understand, it may not be precisely exactly the spot, but as soon as our Lord was born, people went there, right? They gathered there. They stayed there. So even just knowing that people have always come to these places for 2,000 years, and there's this level of respect um, and, you know, adoration, right? Like that in and of itself is special. Um, and in my case, we landed in Tel Aviv on the Epiphany and uh, we went to Jerusalem first and um, we had a guide, Father Pavel, who was amazing, a Dominican priest, really smart. He brought us through, you know, the entire Holy Land and would pull out relevant scripture readings for us. So that was the other part that was amazing. Like, here we are, and here's the reading, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but so then we made our way to Bethlehem uh, in the Church of the Nativity. Um, and I mentioned this before, but we went um, kind of to Vespers while it was in process, from what I understand. And so that was kind of like, what's going on here? I don't know, but it's special, and this is really crowded. Um, and then we went around the quarter because there's, I think, three different Christian denominations that all kind of take claim to that spot, which is kind of the case in a lot of places in the Holy Land, because <laughs> yeah. these spots are so important. So you go through a different part, and there was scaffolding. It was like under construction. And then we were waiting in a line, like very crowded, very long, like this hallway, maybe, I don't know, 50 feet long or something, crammed in, um, not kind of knowing what's on the other side of these doors, but... We're just waiting here, and hopefully we get in. Um, and then we did, and then I think it was um, Orthodox in that in that area because they had all the red lanterns everywhere, mm. right? Uh, and then we're still waiting in this other line, and then you uh, kind of go down these steep steps all of a sudden, and that's there's the spot, and there's like this um, star on the ground that commemorates the birth, and then you know right nearby is the manger. Um, so I don't know, it was just special, and like I said, I'm I'm there with hundreds of other people that are all there, all trying to see the same spot. So you just, I don't know, you, you kind of get that sense like, yeah, this is important. And there was part of me too that was like, is it really this? But <laughs> but like we said, we know, I think that it's close enough, like it's near there. Um, and another kind of cool thing I thought that I learned is, you know, so like I said, it's very um, stone, stony there. Yeah. That's the right word. So the houses are like built into the landscape. So like the lowest level would be where the stable was, and that's kind of the open part into the rock, and then the house is above. So it, it's not like this wooden stable like that mm. you've seen in all these different depictions of the manger, and you know it's not. It's stone, and it's underground. And um, I learned that um, Joseph and Mary probably weren't actually deterred because the inn was, you know, overfilled. It was actually that it was. Um, completely against Jewish culture that the husband would be with the wife during the birth. Really? Yeah. I didn't like know that. against, you know, the, the Jewish religion. So that that was like, what? You know, the, <laughs> this can't happen here. You can't give birth, but you know, you're in this um, state of labor where it's about to happen so you can go down to the manger. So that was just another thing that Interesting. I didn't know that, but it was oh, an wow. interesting fact to learn. And see, that's one reason why I've never gone to the Holy Land. It's because I'm always afraid it's going to change the way I pray and the way I envision, you know, and granted, I mean, like I envision the little manger scene mm -hmm. you know, and I don't yeah. want to lose that. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's how I pray to the baby Jesus. Like, 
I gotcha. But it's there's so much more though that you'll just be opened up to. So even the shepherd's field, right? That's where an angel came and told him that like our Lord is born and you know go over to him. So they have that spot, right? So that's where we went first. It's like a pretty little park. We're there, and you're like, okay, read the you know get the reading. Then go to the church. Like, I don't know. It just kind of um, brings it all together. Like another little thing. I didn't know that Bethlehem was um, like house of bread, right? Yeah. And how fitting. Like that's where our Lord is born. You know, it's right. just so all these little connections that exist that make this all more true and all more amazing that yeah. I would have never known or learned without going there. I had a professor in, of church history in seminary who used to say, you'd tell us all these great stories of the saints. And he said, you know, if it ain't true, it ought to be. And that's how I feel about some of these places in the Holy Land. Like, okay, so, you know, was that the exact mm. location where Jesus was born? Well, you know, if it ain't true, it ought to be. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, that's the place where we have worshipped that event, mm -hmm. you know, for so many years. And Just the thought of walking in the same land where Jesus walked with his disciples. That's, that to me is what I want. Like, just, just the thought of touching a wall that's been there preserved through history where he might have walked through he might have touched it oh that that to me is that that's what draws me there so much because yeah i just think about that and i'm like oh you know i'm walking on holy land like how much more holy does it get than the land where our lord and savior walked yeah it does not get more holy than that you know? Jesus didn't walk in Connecticut, <laughs> unfortunately. So I have a question for those of you who have been on a pilgrimage. Um, did you prepare before you went? And sort of how was your spiritual life changed? And how did you manage sort of expectations going into the pilgrimage and then coming out? Sure, I could start. So I was fortunate that this was a structured trip. You know, the diocese took it seriously. I mean, obviously the bishop came and I think it was to evangelize us and then take that and to evangelize others. Uh, so maybe I'm like fulfilling my role from that trip <laughs> through this episode Definitely. here. Um, but one thing they did for us was kind of give us a background on the Bible. So that was helpful. Like, you know, um, who the gospels were intended for, right? Like this is, I, I'm sorry, I don't really remember, but which one is for, like which gospel is Clearly for it's Jewish? Clearly sunk in very deeply. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, but you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and um, certain things like, I guess in the Jewish culture, if, um, the scripture says someone spoke like from above, like from a higher place, that means what they're going to say is really important. So just these different things that I didn't know that kind of clue you in to who the audience was and, um, a deeper meaning. Cause for us, we're like, Oh, okay. So he read it from a hill, but no, it's like, this is important. And it meant to convert them, you know? Hmm. Um, so there was some teaching that prepared us. Um, and then, I don't know, for me, the, um, I guess the fulfillment for me that I went was I happened to go to the Holy Land before that actual pilgrimage. So in 2015, I went to Israel to volunteer at a nonprofit called Ultimate Peace that aims to bring together youth, you know, that are divided in Israel because everything's yeah. segregated. And it's a week long camp that's meant to be fun. And it, you know, teaches them like, oh, I can interact with Jewish if I'm Arabic, Right. Like and we can actually get along and have fun here. And then the point of playing ultimate is that you resolve your own conflicts within the game. Right. Like if I call a foul, I have to 
um, work that out with the person that I think fouled me. There's no referee to come in and say, yes, it was a foul. Lauren was right. You know, it's, it's us. It's this conflict resolution. And then you move on. So that's why Ultimate's used. And it's super fun. So anyway, I, <laughs> were, I went were they, to... Were they good? Did the kids uh, yeah, pick it up? Yeah, they're, they're, it's a range. So Ultimate is, the Ultimate piece is more than just that camp. They do year-long clinics and, and things. They're trying to grow the sport there. So there are kids that know it and play it. And then there were, you know, complete novices. Um, mm. But it's it was like teaching any kids. Like some kids pick it up right away. Some take a little bit longer. That's okay. Did whatever. they all speak English? Um, the Jewish kids did mostly. Um, Arabic, not as much. But they've got it all worked out. So there's coaches in training that for each language. And they can translate. Oh, cool. Yeah. So they can translate to each other or, you know, to us, the coaches or the Americans. And coaches come from Germany, Australia, you know. It's just a really cool thing. But essentially, I was in Israel to go do this thing that, like, just called out to me, and I thought I would be good at it, and it would be this life-changing experience, and it was. And then on the last day, we're driving the bus to, like, head back to Tel Aviv to leave, and they tell mm. us, there's the Sea of Galilee out the window. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? It's right there? Oh, my gosh. And I didn't extend my trip to go to the Holy Land because I went by myself, so... I, I just didn't know how's it going to work out. Do I extend a few days? I don't know where to stay. So I, I didn't do that. And of course, one person ended up taking some people to Jerusalem for like two days. And I'm like, ugh. But I also <laughs> had to get back for an actual ultimate tournament for my club season. We that, see where your priorities are. I know, right? I was like, oh, I can't miss it. And it was in Colorado. I had to go from the Middle East, you know, to uh, like, uh, it was horrible. I got to the tournament. I was exhausted. So I was like, kicking myself like how did I not just extend that trip just go for it it would have worked out and then what happened you know two years a few years later there's a pilgrimage to the holy land with bishop Caggiano for young adults I was like oh that's God telling me Lauren here you go <laughs> take <laughs> now two you, now you get to go back um and from that experience then after I was actually really grateful that I didn't go to the holy land first because I got to do it you know uh with a group of Catholics and our trip followed like the life of Jesus. So that's why we started, you know, in Bethlehem and then we went to Nazareth and mm. ended in Jerusalem. Okay. So beautiful. So what would you say is the most impactful place that you visited that struck you the deep the deepest? Well, it's it's hard. I mean, I, I think overall for me it was the different landscapes because it wasn't so much for me like this is the spot of the birth or um, this is the spot where Jesus was tempted by the devil even though that was cool too, because the cliff is like right there. There's a monastery up in the hill and you get to climb up the hill, you know, and it's desert, very deserty. And there's a window and a tiny balcony and there's the cliff, you know? Um, and they just have this part that's like, Jesus stood there when the devil tempted him. So that to me is like not so much, but again, <laughs> going from desert, like pure desert to Galilee is so serene and beautiful. Um, the Beatitudes, right? That that sermon yeah. is there. Um, mm. you, you know, the, the landscapes the land really stuck out. Speaks to you. And then before, when you mentioned like the presence of God, the other thing that really stuck out to me is, so um, the Holy Sepulchral Church, right? There's um, the spot of the crucifixion, and it's up these yeah. stairs, and there, you can uh, put your hand down this hole, and there's the rock where the like cross, you know, was in the ground. And then you go down and there's a flat stone where they laid Jesus' body. So people, you know, um, put their rosaries and whatever it is on that, you know, and, you know, say a prayer there. And then there's a little chapel where the tomb was. So you go into the chapel to go to the spot of where Jesus' body was laid. So 
um, you know, we have to kind of wait in line for that. The line wasn't so long. And there's kind of this entry point, like right outside of where the tomb would have been. And then you're, you're there. You are kneeling right next to the part where Jesus's body laid. Maybe four or five people can fit in your shoulder to shoulder. So we get in there and the girl next to me from the trip is like sobbing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh gosh, do I console her? I don't, I don't know what to do. Like <laughs> if I touch her or not. But for me, there was this sensation that was so clear like that God is not here, and that's a good thing, right? Because yeah, he's risen. <laughs> it was so profound to me. He's so risen. I was actually kind of startled, like, how could you be sad? You know what I mean? I, and it just really struck me, like, God is not in this place. And um, part of our tour, we learned, too, that because of the resurrection, right, and like the burst of light that would have occurred when Jesus was risen, that somehow screwed, like, the poles, you know, like North and South Pole. So it... Um, I, I don't know the technical stuff, but this is true. I'm not going to articulate <laughs> it well, but they, like they can't get an accurate rating. Let's say I, I don't know exactly what it is, like so north south. You bring a compass in there, and it just kind of yeah, spins around, right, or right next to that spot. Like readings are off, and there's no explanation, like scientifically, like but wow. why would things wow. be funky here? Yeah. Other than you know there was this burst of energy, right, when Jesus was risen, like this burst of light, which I think sure we can all acknowledge happens. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> so we're going to take a break and when we come back we'll talk more about pilgrimages and how you can go on a pilgrimage yourself. Stay tuned. Catholic Radio works and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. And welcome back to Restless. We've been talking about pilgrimages, and Lauren shared her amazing story at the time she went to the Holy Land, which was pretty life-changing for her. And uh, some of us have also been to some exotic locations, maybe intending it to be a pilgrimage, maybe intending it to be a vacation. <laughs> So, Diane, tell us about your trip to Rome. Yeah, I um, I guess right pretty much when I got out of college, I wanted to go to Europe. Um, and, you know, I told my brother, and he's very protective. Um, so he, he said that he would come with me and be my bodyguard. Um, <laughs> so we decided on a couple of places, and we ended up in Rome um, at the end, spent 10 days in Italy. Um and it was definitely not intending to be a pilgrimage because, you know, we just weren't that into our faith, I guess, then. I mean, we were going to Mass and everything, but, um, I mean, we stayed like a mile away from the Vatican and just walking into the Vatican. I mean, I will never forget that trip. It's one of those places that I think that you can continue to go back. You just know that it's, like Lauren said, you get a sense that this is a holy place and it's not anything that you can really describe. Um, you definitely feel God's presence there. And I remember the first night that we were there, there was no one in, you know, St. Uh, Peter's Square, is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the little circular area. I mean, it was just like me and my brother. Um, so it was just, I mean, staring at Vatican. It was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm here standing in this place where all these saints, you know, live their lives. And um, yeah, it was incredible. So even though you didn't intend it as a pilgrimage, you still got some spiritual benefit from yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, um, yeah, I guess that was kind of the jumpstart of my faith of seeing some of those places. Like, wow, you know, 
these and listening to stories of saints and martyrdoms and things like that, it's like, okay, these people really believed what, you know, what Jesus said and they gave their lives for him. So I think it definitely did get me thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe God meets us where we are on our spiritual journey. And yeah. I didn't have the best intentions, but I think he used what, <laughs> you know, exactly. he used what I gave him, I guess. Sure. Hey, I mean, I shared that I went on pilgrimage when I was 14 and my motivation was to get away from my family for a week. <laughs> it was great. And God totally met me there. Yeah. Know? So Javier, you've been to Rome too, huh? I have been to Rome and Florence. Um, my experience at Rome was, oh my gosh, it was a lot of running. Um, we were there for like less than two days. Oh no. And we saw just about everything. Oh. We saw everything. It kills me when people say that. Yeah, I know. So it like, was, what's the point? Like, I don't know. 25 don't, seconds in the Vatican is not enough. <laughs> uh, well, so we couldn't go into the Vatican because it was closed, but we went into Sistine Chapel and that was amazingly beautiful. It was so beautiful. But again, it was that feeling of, once we actually got to St. Peter's Square and just that feeling of we could only be there for like, because that was the very last place we saw, which should have been the very first place we saw, <laughs> right? And it was the very last place we saw. And it's just that feeling that we were only there for like 30 minutes. I, I, I felt sad. That's what I felt. I felt sadness because I was like, oh, I, when I was at, when I was a kid, I remember, um, hearing about some of my friends because I went to a Catholic school in Venezuela and it was an Opus Day Catholic school. And some of my friends, you know, would go to Rome and stuff and like uh, watch mass from the Pope and stuff like the great John Paul II. And I just remember feeling so jealous. Like I really wanted that so badly. So finally being there and staring at the Vatican and not being able to go, to go in uh, barely being able to take it all in and i just felt like crying honestly and i was actually a protestant at the time but i still had that memory from when i was a kid of like hearing that story from my buddy that went with his mom and just when i listened to it i was like gosh i wish i wish that was me and then mm. just being there took me back to that moment and i was like i'm actually here and I can't even enjoy it. <laughs> so I need to go back for sure. Um, yeah. well, I've been to Florence as well. And uh, the what, what's the church over there? The Duomo. The Duomo, yeah. Yeah, which the just Duomo means cathedral is, in, in Italian. The, yeah, it's so, so beautiful. The Duomo over there is so beautiful. Uh, we actually got to go in and tour it and stuff. And it's it's amazingly beautiful. I, I love Florence. Yeah. Florence is one of my favorite cities in Italy. It's awesome. It's yeah. awesome. It's romantic. That's what I've heard, yeah. <laughs> it is very very small, very romantic. That was the other cool thing, actually, about Rome. We had a Vatican tour. Like, we planned it out pretty well before. And to see um, St. John Paul, to like, his body right there, you know, like, to be able to go and pray right next to him, that was amazing because he was, like, I mean, I definitely wasn't that into my faith when I was younger, but I cried when he died. And I was, like, what is, you know, he was just, he was a saintly, I mean, he was just, uh, I guess, my hero. And then to see him there... That was amazing. Then the catacombs, like, below the um, Vatican, too, just being able to walk, like, those halls with all the popes and things. Um, it just, you know, it gets you thinking. Definitely, definitely. My my pilgrimage experience was uh, in a different country. I went to El Camino of Comp Santiago de Compostela, which is a very ancient pilgrimage route from southern France all the way over to the bones of St. James in Santiago de Compostela. And it was... Uh, 
instead of taking you know a coach bus, we walked 498 miles of nice. walking. Took 32 days, and it was a, a very it was a difficult grace, difficult grace, kind of like your story, Diane. I I was actually um, forced to go, not necessarily of my own free will. So, two of our seminarians of our diocese decided they were going to go over on this pilgrimage, and they invited two young single ladies to join them. And the bishop said, this is a scandal waiting to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, at the time I was a deacon, he's like, you know, Deacon Joe, you like to hike. Why don't you go with them? You're going to chaperone them. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, so I went over. I wasn't friends with any of them at the time. And it was very strange. <laughs> so at least, because let's just say um, two of them are now married. Hmm. Yes. To each other. Go. Yeah. But so I failed in my job, I guess. But, <laughs> but walking, I think, is... At least for me, that was an important part of the pilgrimage was there's about eight days in the middle called the Meseta, which is a desert. And you're just flat as a pancake, dry as a bone, and there's nothing to see. And you're just walking for miles and miles. We did the most we did was 24 miles in one day, which was that was pushing it. We left at four in the morning because it would get to 110 degrees on the Meseta, you know, but, but walking 24 miles, you know, you have a lot of time to think and pray. Yeah, And that's how God works in your heart. It's just that time, you know, without cell service and modern conveniences. So how many people were a part of that pilgrimage with you? Uh, so there were five of us from Connecticut, but every year about 120,000 people walk El Camino. Okay, it's actually, so it's not like, okay, this group is starting now. It's like everyone is just constantly Whenever you doing get there, it. you start it. Yeah. I see. Which was one of the cool parts was getting to know people from other cultures. You know, the first like seven days we hung out with these two families from California and then they left and then we, we met these, this Polish family and a guy from Italy. Uh, the guy from Italy actually decided that he was going to go out on El Camino by walking out his front door and turning left. So he walked from Italy to Spain, wow. Oh, wow. which is over the Alps. <laughs> he said it took him six months to do it instead of 32 days. So hats off to him. That's but, so cool. Yeah. And all of them were Catholic? No, most were not. Oh, I would wow. say only maybe 10%, 15% were practicing, I should say. Because for a lot of Europeans, that's just what you do if you have two weeks of vacation. Oh, I think I'll walk part of the El Camino. You know? So it was actually a great chance to evangelize because... Mm. they'd say, oh, you know, what do you do for a living? I was like, well, I'm a Catholic deacon. Oh, tell me more. You know, with eight hours, you got plenty of time to talk mm-hmm. to them. It's be like, hey, you know, the Lord Jesus is real. He's changed my life. And That's so amazing. I, I bet you the Lord intended for that to be just like that, just in, on purpose. Oh, he definitely yeah. did. <laughs> he definitely did. You know, it was oh. a great grace. At the end, we went to Fatima as well, which was oh, how nice. very nice. But I want to go to Fatima so badly. Um, when I was in my school in Venezuela, um, we had this movie um, of the of of the Virgin of Fatima and um, of the, the apparition to Lucia Jacinta and uh, Francisco and um, um, I remember that I I loved it so much that I asked the priest if I could borrow it. I never get it back. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still have it? Uh, I it's in my house. Yes, it's it's from like the nineteen. 19- 50s or something like that it's in it's not even black and white it's like yellow like the, <laughs> the color looks yellow but it's i loved it so much i mean like the graphics are very bad very very bad um but there was something about that movie that just made me 
fall in love with Fat Fatima in a way that like I always every time I see the Virgin of Fatima I always like I'm always drawn to her you yeah. know um, and I, I don't know I think a lot of people are yeah. but for me it just holds a special place for some reason it's funny how in, in places you kind of expect God to move in one way and he'll move in another way like when I went to Fatima <laughs> we had about five days in Fatima and every day we'd go and, and pray and I'd serve as deacon at the, the shrine exactly where Our Lady appeared. Mm. But that was for me kind of commercialized. It looked like yeah. the Catholic Disneyland a little mm. bit, you know. So I'm, I'm, I am just had to keep walking after 498 miles wasn't enough. So, mm. you know, one day I walked through town and I walked through these olive groves and down these beautiful hills until I came to this parish church. And I walked in the parish church and on the side I saw this little sign that said in Spanish and Portuguese, it said, this was the baptismal font where Jacinta and Francisco were baptized with mm. these two saints. And it looked like a nondescript, totally ordinary parish church. And it struck me so deeply that I was moved to tears because I thought, you know, wait a second. No one would have expected saints to come out of that baptismal font. Yeah. It looks like baptismal font in my church, you know, yeah. back home. And then I realized, wait a second. No, what saints can come out of the baptismal font back home? Yeah. How cool would that be? You know? It reminds me of St. Faustina, how she, she was from like a tiny, tiny, tiny little chapel. I mean, little um, parish. Um, and she's one of the biggest saints we know. Yeah, yeah. And I think a, when, a lot of saints are like that. When I baptize babies, I pray, God, please make this one a saint. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We'll see. That's <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. But So thanks so much for joining us today. I want to issue a challenge before we go. And the challenge is find a way to make a pilgrimage. Now, you may not have the finances or the time off to go to the Holy Land or to Rome or El Camino, but go find a pilgrimage that's near you. Maybe go to a new church in your town. Maybe go check out a religious site that's in your state. But you don't have to travel far to meet God in the unique places where he's moving even today. So find a way to make a pilgrimage and maybe do it this weekend, maybe do it pretty soon because that's how one, one great way in which God ministers to us as he ministered to Lauren, to Diane, and to Javier in their awesome stories. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Restless. You can catch Restless on 1350 AM Veritas Catholic Radio and also wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. <laughs>